Welcome to the Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all you Mandos and Mandats? The Mandalorian Podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Pete, since we last spoke Star Wars, the Rise of the Resistance ride has opened in Walt Disney World, heralded as one of the best rides ever. Also, off to a bumpy start, some shutdowns on the first couple days. Um, Kind of like what happens with many Disney launches. Also, Pete, I guess they should have checked the blueprints against the, oh wait, this is the only working ride for this concept in the existence in the history of humanity i think they're allowed some shutdowns here and there in the first week as you pointed out because a disney thing has never rolled out without any problems and yet been super successful if only matt disney plus was back up and running yet <laughs> oh one day one day uh also pete on a bit more of a brief but serious note here uh there is a uh a bright light warning for uh star wars the rise of skywalker the epilepsy foundation has received a similar advisory notice so uh those who uh, might be affected by such lights uh definitely have that on your radar much like the warning that appeared not last week but the week before for the Watchmen episode, so it would seem that genre content increasingly making use of strobe lights. Um, Disney was a little slow to add such a warning to Incredibles 2, which <laughs> features a, a flashy light bad guy, so you know it's all good for those with epilepsy, etc., knowing certainly ahead of time that uh, there could be some, some content which might concern them. Something that should concern every one of our listeners matt is there is finally an opportunity to get your the child swag on yes and i think probably last time when we podcasted news of the shirts which left some people underwhelmed uh was out there but more recently we have some fun co-pops both regular and giant uh as well as a plushie that you can hug and love forever um that's the good news, Pete. The bad news is it won't be on until like May, but uh, I think we have hopefully a little bit of a of a stopgap in between the two. Yes, we are going to be raffling off the Funko Pop the Child uh, figure. I guess it is yeah, the, the the little one. We're we're, we're not going to drop the huge one on your door there for you. Uh, but if you enter a review on Apple Podcasts between now and when we draw the lucky winner on Saturday, December 28th, we're going to pre-order that for you. It will light speed itself to your door as soon as it is available. So very much looking forward to the winner that uh, will receive that prize. With that, Pete, it's time to hit the hunt. Lasers fire as the Razor Crest is pursued by another more agile ship. Sparks in the Mandalorian's cockpit indicate the seriousness of the situation as the helmeted pilot of the other ship continues to shoot. 
Is this Pete perhaps some sort of variant of the X-Wing class? You know, S-Foils in closed position. I'm not saying open. I'm not saying you can see the X. <laughs> I'm not even saying it is X-Wing, but maybe it's somehow related, you know. Um, but the pilot says to the Mandalorian that he can be brought in uh, warm or cold. With that, the Mandalorian hits the space brakes with flaps a-flying, etc., uh, gets physically hit by the other ship, which now is zooming past him. Then the Mandalorian uh, says, that's my line, and destroys the other pilot. So, uh, adios, bad guy. Yes, the Razor Crest drifts away, not under power, as we get to the title card here of Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. Alarms blaring and fuel leaking, the Razor Crest shuts down, but at least the child is giggling. Mandalorian restores power and heads for the closest planet, a familiar-looking orb, when Moss Eisley Tower directs him to Bay 35. That's right, Matt. We're sputtering over the wretched hive of scum and villainy on Tatooine. Pete, long-time listeners to Fantastic Geek. Might wish right now I had Handy, and I don't, but I had the Season 1, Season 2, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., audio trick where we would uh, play coming home for Grant Ward. <laughs> Here we are coming home. We will dig certainly deeper into Mos Eisley in a little bit, but our The Mandalorian is sent to Bay 3-5. The ship sputters down, and we see The Mandalorian putting the child into a makeshift crib of sorts inside the ship. Uh, the Mandalorian comes out of it fires a warning shot at the three pit droids pete that's right pete the george lucas era pit droids are back yes and new is peli motto played by uh strangers with candies amy sedaris in a rather ripley-esque wig chiding him and promising that he will pay for her pit droids if he damages them uh, she does also run her eyes and her scanners over the ship. I think, Pete, it's really only now I realize our good old standard effortless exposition here. She's clearly, you know, uh, an apt and able repair person here. Not just noting the carbon scoring, but the engines are a mess. This is going to have to be flipped around. That's going to have to be whoozy, what's it, etc. Uh, he offers her 500 Imperial credits for a start. but She says that uh, he will need a lot more. Pete, I love this continuation, obviously, of the Western aesthetic. I feel like some of those old-timey Westerns, it wasn't like, your invoice will be thirty-eight seventy-five. Like, it's kind of more that, uh, it'll cost you more, you know, it'll cost you some more bits there. You know, things like that, where it's not down to the penny and this three-page invoice. Here, we're kind of, you know, bringing over that, that Western aesthetic again. Uh, Mando goes for a walk into uh, the beloved town center of Mos Eisley, walking past Pete, finally, from the first thing we saw from the trailer, the stormtrooper heads on uh, on spikes, uh, even with some red cloth beneath, no doubt meant to be evocative of stormtrooper blood. Yes, as well as a moisture evaporator. Playing Sabacc with her pit droids, uh, Pelimato is interrupted by shrieking. She sends them for her blaster which is actually a, a jawa blaster but uh it's the child instead headed down the ramp that that mean old bounty hunter left all alone in the space closet of the big mass nasty ship 
and uh, she fetches her pitroids after something to eat with bones in it. The plan is look after him until the Mandalorian gets back and charge him extra. Right, Bright Eyes? Now, Pete, this particular scene, I think, is a perfect example of uh, the importance of music. I Look, clearly, we know the whole story of this episode. Clearly, uh, she's not up to any you know ill will uh, in any sort concerning the child. I don't know that, that there was dialogue in this scene to fully put us at ease. I don't know that the camera work would have put us fully at ease. I, I don't know how you would necessarily show that either. But here, I think they went to Ludwig Göransson and said, okay, we, uh, oops, we have, you know, this scene mostly edited. It's not 100% clear to family member we pulled in to watch an early cut of the episode. It's not clear that she's not out to sell this kid. Can you give us the biggest, happiest, you know, like music to say she's cool peeps and she is and the music lets us know that. Mission accomplished. Just like when the Mandalorian saunters past an engine on the side of the road and into the legendary Wooers Cantina, which now has a droid bartender and serves droids. Man, this post Empire, not post Empire Strikes Back, because this is post Return of the Jedi, but this post Empire universe, Matt, is something. Pete, you could call it the era of the early New Republic if you want. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Pete, here is where I will make my statement about about uh, nostalgia. I it's so that we're clear, this is not the Watchmen uh, perfume nor the drug nostalgia. This is just the general pop culture concept. It's awesome that we're back in Mos Eisley. It's great to be back in the cantina to see how things have changed, et cetera, et cetera. It's great that in a bit we get speeder bikes and all of that. I think a lot of people this week, you know, there was whatever, the, the fringe people who hate everything. But I think that if you were a little down on this episode this week, if you gave it a B plus instead of an A this week, Here's my proposition. It seems like this where you're like, oh man, we're back. Those are the steps that where, and at the bottom of those steps, we don't serve joy. And at that whole thing, here nostalgia is working against you where it's just supposed to be like, hey, you haven't been to the old road, roadside bar in a while. Uh, look how things have changed. Now we're going to use it to just simply serve the story, not give you goosebumps. But instead, we're all saying goosebumps, goosebumps. And I think that it, it the nostalgia pulls us away from another episode which is a perfectly fine rather plain construction of a to b to c i did not feel it work against the story i very much appreciated the loving recreation of this down to the exterior down to the placement of particular uh, booths we'll talk about here in a moment so uh, I, I, don't, I don't take umbrage with your statement. I can uh, recognize it and certainly see how it might have taken some of the people out of the narrative. But the Mandalorian, uh, he wants some work. And the droid tells him that the Bounty Guild no longer operates from Tatooine. Again, signs of things having changed since the Empire went down in flames. Um, but... Uh, not looking for guild work doesn't improve his situation either. 
think again, Tin Can, and we whirl over to the very same seat that Han Solo once sat in before he shot Greedo first. Uh, and we get great value brand Han Solo, also known as Toro Calican. The, the RC Cola of Han Solo's, <laughs> perhaps. Um, Pete, listen, ever since on the Watchmen podcast, I did not do my basic due diligence to do name origins. Okay, Toro Calican, Toro Bull. Here's the question to kind of mull over as the episode unfolds. Is he the bull or rather full of it? <laughs> um, but there he is at the table, uh, willing to give the Mandalorian a job. Uh, Pete, Disney legend Ming-Na Wen appears ah. via hollow fob as, uh, or hollow puck rather, as Fennec Shand. I must confess, Pete, uh, I knew she was coming this season. I did not know she would be in this episode. I even thought maybe like, oh, this is the job and next week we're going to meet her or whatever. So complete delight ahead of us in terms of you know, Ming-Na Wen, but uh, we find out that here, Fennec Shand is a naughty gal on the run since the New Republic put her employers on lockdown. Pete, now people out with Fennec Shand to lock her up. Yes, Toro followed the tracking fob there, and the positional data suggests she's headed out beyond the Dune Sea. He said the Dune Sea, Pete! He, well, a detail for later, definitely, given the way the episode ends. Should be an easy job and again the the story unfurling here in a way mandalorian telling him well good luck with that clearly you're not in the guild not because i haven't seen you at the christmas party or the life day party or what have you but no you don't know that fennec shand is an elite mercenary assassin who's made a name killing for all the top crime syndicates, including the Huts. If he goes after her, he won't make it past Sun's Rise. Uh, this is when Toro explains, you know, sir, 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 but it's my first job. Uh, he needs a catch to get into the guild. I mean, Pete, classic guild behavior here, okay? You, you can only do a catch once you're in the guild, but to get in the guild, you need a catch. I mean... You know, Pete, there, there could be an alternate version of this script where uh, Toro has to, you know, buff the uh, outside of the Razor Crest for a couple of years, maybe run, go get uh, Star Wars coffee, whatever it might be. But Bantha milk. Bantha milk. Yeah, hot Bantha milk. Uh, it's best when fresh squeezed. Uh, but uh, that's soy crap. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, again, he needs the catch to get into the guild. He even says that the Mandalorian can keep the money. He just wants Pete the cred. All right, he wants to make his space tube vids, I guess. Uh, they make a deal. Uh, come back in half an hour. The Toro is told to come back in half an hour with two speeder bikes. Bring them to old Dock and Bay 35. Um, little discussion about who will keep the tracking fob. But uh, Toro smashes it. He's got it memorized which I guess simultaneously continues to keep Toro 100% locked into this mission, but also seems a little short-sighted, Pete, that the tracker you need to make sure she's not moving. Looks like you're stuck with me now, partner. Mandalorian heads back to Hangar 3-5 to check out the Razor Crest and finds Space Closet empty with the little blue blankie that he had swaddled the child in and suddenly 
in the middle of this track down story, our hearts are now, uh, you know, in the hands of the storytellers. Uh, indeed. Uh, luckily, though, Pete, you know, with Pelly watching the child, everything's okay. Thank goodness, Pete, I wasn't more worried because the music earlier had told me not to worry. Um, I kind of dig how quickly the Mandalorian is just acceptable uh, or rather accepts all of this. Um, again, I kind of feel there's this Western aesthetic, maybe vaguely built into the DNA of the genre, hopefully not the DNA of Favreau's thinking, uh, but built into the DNA of the Western genre. Is like, oh, look, woman, watch baby, must be okay. Um, again, I don't want to kind of, I don't want to hang that all on Favreau. I think that's kind of, I think you could watch many a Western and it's like, women folk, good with baby. Uh, ultimately, though, the Mandalorian here to, to make sure everything's okay. He grabs a pack, steps out uh, of Docking Bay 35 to find Toro and the two bikes. Pete, this is when Toro can also see Peli with the child, which is going to mm-hmm. be super important later on. Uh, and in fact, passed me over completely on first viewing that there's that silent info exchange. Little kicking of the uh, hollow tires, if you will. Hop on the speeders and then off to the Dune Sea completely appreciate the ripples that the speeder bikes create in the sand as they pass by really nicely done mandalorian signals for them to stop there's a couple of banthas up ahead that toro sees through the binox some tuscan raiders he's heard locals talk about this filth as the Mandalorian informs him that the Tuscans think they're the locals. Everyone else is just trespassing. They'll need to keep their distance, Toro notes. Well, why don't you tell them yourself to the pair that has snuck up behind them? This is just a great scene. You get a little, you know, I think timely social commentary, especially through the you know, through the metaphor of space laser show, just in terms of being the native people and those who think you know they're native and so forth um i also like i mean given that we've only ever seen tuscan raiders you know uh, 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 the fact that apparently their language is sign language or the way at least to communicate to them if you don't know their vocalizations is sign language just an unexpected bit of sci-fi magic there uh, the negotiation is made and completed. Uh, the Mandalorian has traded over Toro's Binox. Pete, not Minox. That's completely <laughs> different. Binox, which we might call binoculars. Uh, and the deal is done. And I love the line, hey, those were new. Yes, they were. Yes, as they speed off here. Next, they find a dewback with a dead rider that the Mandalorian uh, investigates and finds is another bounty hunter. Uh, Toro tells him he better not plan on keeping all that stuff. He wants dibs on the blaster. They find a tracking fob beeping, and then he knows to get down. There is a masked sniper uh, bolting him from far away here, hits him twice. This MK modified rifle, uh, which struck him in the Beskar, and at that range, the Beskar held up. Ever so so slight a finger wag, I think, uh, with one thing here. I think that in the uh, character design of the dead bounty hunter, the one attached to the dewback, 
for a moment, I thought that he was the pilot of the attack ship at the beginning. And I was like, no, wait, that person died. Uh, I'm not saying it's a major story foul, but I think that if it was like, oh man, look, he has a blue helmet. That's different than the yellowish helmet I saw at the beginning. Just a little something to differentiate. That would be my suggestion to uh, episode writer, director Dave Filoni. Uh, Dave, call me anytime. Um, but Pete, back to the Beskar. Yes, the Mandalorian's been hit twice. That's when Toro kind of looks down. Pete, adorable, dumb Toro. Uh, wait, I don't have any Beskar. Right, you don't. The plan is to wait until night, then attack. Uh, at night, Toro sees... Uh, well, Toro, I should mention Pete, is going to do the first watch here, says the Mandalorian. Uh, when it's time to attack, Toro goes over to the Mandalorian sleeping or not. Pete, what's your take? Is Mando asleep and just letting this guy run his mouth? Or does he not see Toro pull on him? It's the affectation of the mask and that we still haven't seen his face and what he can see under it. It's a cute little bit uh, intercut in between those two scenes. Speaking of masks, of course, the visor opening up and we can see uh, the luminous Ming-Na Wen through her visor there, you know, with the high ground. It's kind of important in the Star Wars universe, Matt. Takes me back to Battlefront 2, battling on the dock at Kashyyyk. Uh, It was all about the high ground. I could tell you that as a veteran of that campaign many, many times. Um, Regardless, though, the Mandalorian now is going to share his plan. They're going to use the speeder bikes at high speed alternate flare firings that will blind her scope from being able to take them out uh they do just that they race toward her the plan does appear to be working um she is getting off some shots she keeps missing uh this until toro misfires his flare it bounces off the ground does not give that burst of light uh that allows the mandalorian's bike to be hit and uh he's down fennec about to take the kill shot but then whew, Toro is right behind her. Uh, you'd think that's it, Pete, but then they fight. They do, and gives Ming-Na Wen an awesome chance to show her ability. This, an actress who was hurt during Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for doing her own stunts, definitely buries herself in a role. This nice distraction enables the Mandalorian to come up there and end that fight. Good work, partner, has uh, Fennec cuff herself and then tells Toro to find his blaster. It's been a while, though, since Fennec Shand has seen a Mandalorian. Ever been to Navarro? That's the planet with Mud City, Matt. Now, wait a minute, Pete. They've never uh, used the, the name Navarro for any planet before, which reminds me, did they ever name that planet that had what we called Mud City on it? Could we be headed towards some sort of resolution? They never named it, and now it has a name. Uh, what I like is that it's not readily apparent on first view that Navarro is that planet, and now we can understand a bit better the story bonus for them not having named it either on screen or in dialogue. So... Even when the show is showing restraint, it is working towards larger purposes. Um, All three walk back to the bike. Uh, Let's not forget, the other bike now lost by uh, the sniper shot. There's only one choice. One of them needs to go get the dewback. Uh, Ultimately, it's decided that the Mandalorian will go get it. 
That gives Fennec a chance to talk to Toro. And as the suns rise, uh, she notes that she can get to her rendezvous in Mos Espa and give him double the bounty on her head. But Pete, as he said before, he's not worried about the money. Moss Espa, of course, being the town that Anakin Skywalker came from back in The Phantom Menace. Uh, getting double the price on her head uh, if she makes that meeting, but uh, trying to tempt him against the Mandalorian here that uh, one of them shot up Navarro, had a high-value target, and if you bring this traitor, this Mandalorian, back to the guild, it would make him legendary. Uh, and that, of course, what he has been after since we first met him. Oh, low all those 10 or 15 minutes ago. Uh, he wants the respect. He wants the entry to the guild. And I love here that as she's describing all of this, we see, uh, you know, story pressure placed against the Mandalorian. Uh, I think few people would have predicted that she is placing story pressure against herself. Because, of course, if the Mandalorian's armor is worth more, more than her... He still doesn't care about the money, but his person and his armor are now worth so, so, so much more than her. Uh, Pete, that's why uh, Toro um, is starting to, you can see the the, the wheels uh, moving in his head as he comes up with a new plan. Yeah, the child comes up here. Some say that's what the target is. But wait, Toro has seen Peli Motto holding a child. It's all coming back here. Her advice to him as a bounty hunter, make the best deal and survive. She lifts her binders here. It's just within reach. And then Matt story code one shot. Ooh, I hadn't quite picked up on that. He, it is Pete indeed just one shot. We've oftentimes noticed Two shots means you're really dead. Regardless, here she's shot in the gut. That much is clear. Uh, falling down, motionless. Toro notes to her dead body, dead question mark, uh, taking the binders off would leave him a dead man. And if the Mandalorian is worth more than her, then she's expendable. Boom, instant explanation as to what's going on there. Thanks for the tip. He gets on the speeder and drives off. The Mandalorian arrives at the body with the do back there but of course no toro heads into town and then to hangar three five where we pan over and see the speeder so we know it's all coming to a head here inside the little booth there are the pit droids but then down the ramp of the razor crest come Pelimato at gunpoint with toro and the child in his arms there, Matt. Don't touch my the child. So many the thes. Um, the Mandalorian drops his blaster, raises his arms as instructed. Peli is told to go over there and cuff him. Toro says that he's put all the pieces together. You know, the Mandalorian, the child, all the, the whole nine yards. Uh, Peli, now behind the Mandalorian, sees that he's holding a flare slash flare launcher. She's impressed by that, she whispers, because the story wants you to be clear that she's cool peeps. Uh, the Mandalorian fires the flare, blinding Toro for a moment. He shoots indiscriminately in front of himself, 
but it's the Mandalorian who's at the side, pulling the trigger, shoots, and kills Toro. Goodbye, Toro. R.I.P. Sam's Club dash Rendar. <laughs> uh, after a brief moment of searching, the child is fine. The Mandalorian uh, pulls out a coin pouch from Toro's body, hands it over to Peli, uh, and if you need to understand if that's enough or not beyond her dialogue, which is, oh, wow, yes, sir, that is more... Th- I mean, it is just enough. The way, you know, great production design here, we're kind of used to seeing coins or, you know, round coins, square coins, things that are kind of vaguely coin-shaped. Uh, bars are coming out, roughly the size of a Kit Kat bar, but I don't know if that's a larger meta message. I don't know if Dave Filoni is a fan of wolves and cowboy hats and Kit Kats. I don't know, but... <laughs> The fact, my point being, kind of jokes aside, my point being that this physically larger money starts to waterfall out. It's clear this is a lot of money, even though it's like, you know, a handful and a handful of pennies would be more. But it's just kind of clear that it's it's more. Uh, The pit droids are told to drag Toro's body, get it out of here, all the way to Beggar's Canyon. (gasps) Pete, isn't that where we're used to bullseye womp rats? It is. And the ramp retracts. The Razor Crest flies off to the stars. Suddenly, Matt, we are back beyond the Dune Sea again. The body. There is a device beeping, very reminiscent of some things we've heard before in the Star Wars universe. Uh, there are spur sounds as a largely unseen figure approaches the body and kneels before we fade to black and the art credits. Let's chase down some theories. Matt, the mysterious figure at the end, wrong answers only. Uh, Darth Sidious and Maul. Uh, also. Han Solo, Jabba the Hutt, and uh, ee Rat Lizard Guy. Salacious Crumb? Yes. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's super, I don't want to say predictable, and we don't know who it is, but it seems super obvious. The, the spur sounds as a red herring. This has to be Boba Fett, right? Last scene sent into the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi in the Dune Sea. We have the Mandalorian. This could be the other Mandalorian. Are we in for season two, the Mandalorians? Mando on Mando action. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure how I feel about that because I, I, I stand by what I said towards the beginning of the episode, I think that if there's a bit of a letdown in this episode, it is not because of the story. It's because we're back at a place where greater adventures have happened. Um, You know, I think of last week's episode where, you know, if you've seen The Three Amigos or any Magnificent Seven or Magnificent Seven sequel or The Seven Samurai or any of the other derivations, then you kind of knew the drill of that story. But, Though the story was familiar, it was not a Star Wars story until last week. Here, I think some of the nostalgia is dazzling and it takes away from the body of the show. With that in mind, if it's the grand reveal of, you know, this is a Boba Fett 
Boba Fett sequel show, um, how would I feel about that versus it just it just being all new all the time? I feel torn between the two. When you pull it off properly, you get you know Star Trek Discovery seasons one and particularly two, and it really really lands well. Let's time remember. will tell that this show seems to have gotten its origin in the flaming debris of what was left of Josh Trank's Boba Fett movie. And let, let's fully acknowledge, thank God that never happened, you know, for the nonsense that people attempt to throw at Kathleen Kennedy, um, that she fired Trank after if one tenth of what is told that happened on the set of Fantastic Four, the the one from what was that 2015? 15, yeah, that's what I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, uh, is true. And now that this that guy is a total, uh, you know, dumpster fire on Twitter now, there's a reason he's not gotten another gig since then. I think we can all agree the proper choice was made. So if Mandalorian is what was left of that and they decided, all right, we're not going to do the Boba Fett thing. We're, we're going to make this a new character and that they bring Boba Fett in here. I'm fine with that. It's not his show. It's the Mandalorian show. And I'd be fine with it. First of all, Peter, you're telling me that you're not looking forward to Josh Trank's film Fonzo. Uh, which is about uh, Al Capone. And and no one is. Um, also, and, you know, I, I'm, I, I have no animosity towards Kathleen Kennedy. Since you're talking about her and directors, Pete, there was the quote this week that the only person, this is a, this is maybe not word for word, but this is what she said. The only person that she could imagine directing Star Wars Episode Nine was J.J. Abrams. You know, she who fired the previous director in Colin Trevorrow, who was the director of episode nine. So it'll be interesting to see if you are correct, Pete. And this time next week, we are talking about the triumphant return that even got over my nostalgia skepticism and Boba Fett is back. And it's just this amazing synergy of old and new. And it's the thing everybody's wanted since 1983. Nay, since the holiday special first planted the seeds of this character and, Blah, 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 and all of that. And it's just amazing. It'll be interesting to see if she or other people say, the first time anybody ever talked about uh, a project like this, it was when John Favreau showed up my, you know, at my door two years ago, as opposed to, you know, the Boba Fett movie that did exist. Uh, Pete, building off of your theory here, who is the gunslinger of the episode? Is it the Mandalorian? Is it Toro? And we have a little bit of a tweak there to him not really being much of a gunslinger. Is it Fennec Shand, herself a legendary gunslinger who now meets the end as many do at the end of a of a blaster? Is it Mystery Spur figure and the title refers to someone who shows up feet only at the end? I don't think we can fully make a determination not knowing the identity of that other person. I'll tell you this. You don't go get Ming-Na Wen, Disney legend, you don't shoot her once and then her face is not decomposed and have this unseen figure go up to her. Matt, I mean, you get Ming-Na Wen to hang out with Boba Fett. I mean, <laughs> imagine being pitched that as 
Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7 is filming. Hey, Ming-Na, come here. Come on, sit down. So we know you like the Star Wars. We follow you on the social media. How would you like to go on a Tatooine adventure with, shh, don't tell nobody, Boba Fett in Episode 6 of The Mandalorian, streaming on Disney Plus in December of 2019? I... I can only agree with your observation that one shot is story code for, you know, there still may be a chance. Um, if this is it, though, if in, in the mind of Dave Filoni's script and all who had a hand on the story, if it was just the shot to the gut and that's it, because in Westerns they don't do two shots because maybe it's 1950 and they don't need to pump people full of lead. Um, if this is it, it will feel slightly... It'll feel that Ming-Na Wen was slightly underused. I know I had a similar criticism with Cara Dune last week. I know in my mind she's coming back. In my heart, this is now, at this point in this story, this is two weeks in a row where also awesome female characters have been introduced and then exit the story by the end of the episode. I know Cara Dune is coming back. I hear what you're saying about Fennec Shand. I can only live in the here and now and say, bring on more awesome Star Wars women. I am not going to be happy until I can place my pre-ordered Cara Dune action figure next to my not yet announced Fennec Shand action figure. Pete, last theory from me. I know how interconnected the Star Wars universe is, particularly on Tatooine, all these great convergences. Are these the same pit droids that a young Anakin Skywalker pushed the little nose camera of and we were introduced <laughs> to them all the way back in 1999? And then kicked Jar Jar in the crotch. Oh. I mean, is is the universe, is the galaxy that small? All right. It's a model of droid. We've, we've seen them throughout the universe. That I don't think. You want to talk about droids, Matt, in particular in Wooer's Cantina – we saw R5-D4. Good thing he got his motivator fixed after uh, being at the Lars homestead and having that blow out. He was almost Luke's droid. Instead, now he just wanders this cantina. Well, sometimes it's meant to be. I, I know I personally, it was nice seeing the model droid that is now a bartender. I always kind of dug that... Um, Dug that type of droid from Return the of the Jedi. torture droid? You're into the torture droids, well, Matt? I, you know what? Jabba's I, Palace? I always thought it was an interesting design, particularly kind of like the little mouth that pops down. Um, I must confess, as a kid, that was a slightly scary scene. Until um, I figured out that the steam was not coming out from the contact point, but they were blowing steam <laughs> through the feet. You know, you watch, you, you watch these things enough, you start to figure out, I don't know, figure out, things about life and film and cinema etc but it was fun to see that model droid return yes the ev99 uh droid there from jabba's palace but matt with all this droid talk here can can we talk for a minute the mandalorian is not the most accepting character why is he so anti-droid well i think it i mean to my mind it dials back to his childhood and losing his family, his community in a large uh, sense, his existence at the hands of the droid army, um, you know, to watch droids kill your folks. Now, now he doesn't trust them. Okay. I, I had not put that together myself. That super battle droid. I mean, we, 
We don't know what happened after it yanked open the cellar door there that uh, he was deposited in by his parents, but that that's a good one. Um, Tatooine, post-Empire, post-Jabba the Hutt. There's no bounty hunter guild work there. I mean, it would be really disappointing if this just became the most peaceful, dust-covered planet in the galaxy. I did feel like... Again, this I don't mean to return to the nostalgia thing, but you know, going to Mos Eisley the first time in the original edition has a certain vivacity to it. Now, in the special edition, all this extra energy to it. I think we could debate whether it's too much, you know, or if we think it's too much, is it through the lens of what of our old nostalgia, blah blah blah. But it was such a hopping place. The cantina was, you know, just this iconically energetic place. Uh, I don't think it's a reflection on this production that Tatooine, I guess specifically most Eisley, and then most, even more specifically rather, uh, the Cantina, uh, have less energy. I think it's meant to be, hey, kind of, you know, this being Tombstone, Arizona, circa, you know, two years before the gunfight at the OK Corral, you know, kind of the, the energy, the bad energy, the good energy, whatever, has moved on a bit. Um, again, I kind of, so like I'm okay with it, but I feel like it's just underscored by the fact that this was the coolest place in the galaxy when you were a kid watching A New Hope for the first time. Whether it's you know original edition, uh, special edition, or now Disney Plus Mulcahy or whatever it is edition. Regardless, if you felt it was like Matt saying a little bit of a nostalgic misfire, or if it squared it up just enough, like I feel. Uh, can we just give props for how they recreated this setting, this cantina? Oh, absolutely. And I continue to think back to this idea of the, you know, the LED set that they use. And I know I had sent you a Pete for, uh, sent you Pete a link uh, of um, some YouTubers who had visited a similar setup. I don't think it certainly was not the Mandalorian set. I don't think it was the same effects company either, but just I continue to kind of look for the seams of, uh, of what it's like where, for example, you can take the razor crest cockpit set, wheel that into your led cage and then put Tatooine on there in motion. And now you're getting all these really amazing reflections on his helmet in a way where you really would not have had that in the past uh similarly him walking into the cantina just that exterior shot you know how much of that is created in a computer ahead of time and he's not blue screened he's rather just standing in this led room and as the camera moves the background moves with it that kind of thing in a way that is really amazing meanwhile it's just like there's uh the guy in his costume walking in the box the, the small light box that we have um, but the fact that they're able to do this really, really is amazing. And then all the other accoutrements to this episode that Tuscan Raiders don't talk, that they speak some form of American sign language that the Mandalorian is fluent in, just retrocons in the best way uh, what we've seen of them before. Yeah, it's a fun return for the Tusken Raiders, uh, particularly since, if I am correct, Pete, the last time chronologically that we saw them in live action, they were getting heads chopped off by a, you know, 
further and further over the precipice Anakin Skywalker. So it's nice to see them just doing their thing. Uh, and honestly, you know, if we're going to go for the slightly larger metaphor here, they are the Native Americans in their natural habitat. And it is the Star Wars universe uh, encroaching upon them. And, you know, to get a little broccoli in with your steak of the of the episode, that was welcome too. And the detail in this episode that Beskar, this steel, coveted, expensive, is not indestructible, I think can't go without notice. I think that not only does it remind us uh, the importance of just the physicality of it, of course. I wonder if we're, you know, seeding something for later on in terms of, oh man, it was the super blast or, or something like that. Maybe it was just mentioned in this episode to say, and that's why the Mandalorian can't just run full speed at her. You know, there needs to be some sort of diversion. Um, also in this episode, it hammers home like that, that Toro is not worried about the value of the, of the armor, but it also connects back to a lot of the armor Mandalorian religion type stuff, which we don't get in this episode. It's been two episodes since we've gotten the armor or bang, bang, uh, making stuff and flashbacks and things of that sort. So it's a way to keep all of that going in our minds, even when we're not really addressing it. And though we may never spend it on Beskar, Matt, the good people of Patreon dot com slash fantastic geek help us to afford the necessary things to keep our razor crest going be these next 10 11 12 days or so are going to be super busy for us uh whether it's watchman mandalorian godfriended me two short treks runaways more mandalorian more runaways more watchman etc and all of that gobbling up bandwidth and storage to the point we've had discussions like, all right, we gotta gotta mind the shop a little bit here in terms of the you know the back end of this hobby here. So the fact that we are listener supported, the fact that we do have that financial flexibility uh, during this super busy time of year for the podcast, that is so so appreciated, and of course supported by everyone who goes to Patreon.com/slash/FantasticGeek. Every contributor gets access to exclusive podcast content. All it takes is a dollar to get you in that door, a mere quarter a week for a month with that dollar a month. And again, can't contribute. You can always get yourself over to Apple Podcasts, leave us that review, make yourself eligible for the child Funko Pop that we have pre-ordered and will be shipping to some lucky winner when we draw that on Saturday, December 28th. All right, extend that antenna. Pete, let's start, as we always do, with our Twitter poll. The choices, one star, the droid pits, 5%. Two stars, that's hand motions, Pete, 0%. (laughs) Three stars, bars back open, 38%. And four stars, Shandy, my Shandy, 57%. Uh, So, Pete, obviously the majority going for four stars, but one of the lower four-star ratings that we've gotten for the Mandalorian, personally kind of in line with my thoughts, you know, it's not finger wag, only most of you said four stars, just kind of like, okay, 57% said four stars. You're five episodes into this first season of eight episodes. It's a newer show. We've talked on all of our podcasts for the various shows that we do. 
the old timey role was, you know, seven episodes and then you really set things into uh, some sort of regularity. I don't know where that is in current TV when you have limited series of eight episodes, but it's still finding itself and it's proven at the same time it can be different things and give you different flavors it's definitely fit within the disney star wars mold okay it it wasn't what i think was the best episode which was the second one with the jawa stuff and you know the first big uh you know exposure to the child but you know it is what it is we got our ming na wen we went back to Moss Eisley, if you had told me before this show ever aired that that would all happen in one episode, that alone would make it my most anticipated episode. Pete, moving on to an email that we got actually last week, we got it shortly after we were done recording. So certainly happy to share it now. It's from our pal, Mike Sorensen, uh, who says, I'm not sure if you've heard the stories going around, but all of the clients' remnant stormies with him in Mudtown, who so glorious met their fate against our hero, were members of the 501st Legion consuming uh, costuming group. They were brought in for an event that they were told about, then used for filming. Favreau and Filoni decided these men and women already have the armor, and they already know how to act as stormtroopers, so why not utilize them? This news came out at Star Wars Celebration earlier this year, but I thought it was very cool and worth sharing again. It's definitely cool. The one caveat I would make to Mike's email there, there's a photo of them all assembled and Cara Dune is in it in costume. Uh, Grief Karga is in it in costume. They were not all together in that scene, so I'm not convinced those guys we've seen so far were necessarily those 501st volunteers. Perhaps, Matt, with you know, episodes uh, six, seven, and eight, we still will get an ensemble, if you will, where we need even more cosplay uh, guys. Well, certainly it's awesome that the production was so proactive in terms of reaching out to the fan community and getting them in, you know, and really, uh, you know, just showing those appreciations that the fans can give them. Shades of J.J. Abrams recruiting real life droid builders rather than going to the Hollywood people and, and doing that, that the film community acknowledges the fan community in such a way to be able to enlist them you know it's the ultimate snake eating its tail pete what uh, feedback do you have on apple Podcasts, matt we've been left a pair of reviews which are now like all the others going to be eligible for our giveaway the first comes from mad tav uh the headline is excellent five stars And it reads, these guys made me into the geek I am today. Excited to continue watching The Mandalorian with you both. Wow. Well, Pete, I mean, great. uh, What a great compliment that we made the the listener into the geek he or she is today. I mean, certainly, certainly high praise, well appreciated. I have to admit, Pete, I'm blushing a little bit. The next comes from Mertzi1954. Uh, The headline is Balance, five stars, and it reads, You guys do a great job. Much appreciated. 
balance, keeping it light, blending fact with opinion, fun show. Ah, well, thank you so much. We do try and make this fun at the end of the day. You know, I don't think that this is the, the greatest thing since Shakespeare, nor is it, you know, the, the dumpster fire that some people would have you harumph and believe about. Uh, you know, this is a fun show with an interesting perspective, and uh, we have a lot of fun talking about it. And Pete, speaking of somebody who loves to talk about Star Wars, it's our pal Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Mandalorian. Season 1, Episode 5, or Chapter 5, The Gunslinger. I more and more get the impression that how this series is constructed is more like the Monster of the Week episode, in the sense of that every episode is more or less a story on its own. And, of course, there is a red thread through the story, and that's that this Mandalorian is protecting this child, but every every episode is separate, more or less. I'm a little bit disappointed by that. I like it a little bit more when this red thread through the story is a little heavier. Nevertheless, I enjoyed it very, very much. I think the droids were very funny. I loved to see Ming-Na Wen here as Fennec Sand. And of course we know her from, or at least I know her from, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as Agent Melinda May. And I like her there a lot. I think these droids are a combination of R2-D2 and its sounds in combination with Rodney, the lead character of the 2005 animated movie Robots by Blue Sky and distributed by 20th Century Fox, the same companies that produced Ice Age. I really love that movie and especially the end sequence of that movie. I want to close up this audio feedback with a little piece of that jazz. Well, there goes our happy ending. No, it's a fusion of jazz and funk. It's called junk. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, I love that Fred has highlighted the jazz music from that particular film, which had me thinking, here we have droids, jazz, we have in Star Wars A New Hope the cantina music, which is, or rather, which was conceived to be, what if aliens with different instruments found Earther jazz from the 20th century and tried to play it and tried to understand it. So we kind of have droid jazz, cantina jazz, space music, robot music. Uh, it's all musically connected. Yes. I know that uh, Fred has talked before about living under a rock. Um, we talked about it in the body of this episode 
not clear from his feedback that he understands that the pit droids were in uh, episode one, the Phantom Menace, as well as episode two, uh, Attack of the Clones. So not, you know, some kind of mashup or influence from the robots film in 2005 and now, you know, recreated here. This does go back quite a bit in Star Wars lore. Pete, Fred always offering a really uh, valued and unique perspective there. What's funny is I remember that movie, but only vaguely. So it's been interesting kind of, even with the music, kind of having it reactivate those memories and whatnot, which Pete maybe brings us back to where we began, you know, memories, nostalgia, the old being new again, etc. So Pete, how can people be like Fred and be in touch with you to talk about the Stars War, the wars in the stars, the droids, the battle in the stars, the wind to shake the stars, etc.? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,914 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word, with the P and the H. Like it today. Well, Pete, before you know it, it'll be Monday. And on Monday, we will be talking tomorrow's episode of God Friended Me. And then after that, it'll be Wednesday where we're talking tomorrow's episode of Watchmen. And then before that, we have two Star Trek short treks, both animated for later in this week. And uh, again, as we enter this busy time, our thanks to everybody who supports us on Patreon, supports us with reviews, supports us with feedback, supports us with listens, particularly on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, which is going to be heating up for the next several weeks here as we have a whole bevy of geeky goodness. So, And Pete, of course, I have to mention Runaways starting this Friday as well. So Pete, we're going to get even more Fred. That's the best part here. We get Fred for Runaways, Fred for Mandalorian. It's a, it's a Fred Bonanza. Fred, I'd love to know uh, what is it in Dutch to say Fred Bonanza or Fred? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how universal the word Bonanza is. A, a a a whole bunch of Fred. Tell us what that is. What that is, please. But for now, Pete, it's time for me to stop talking. So I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final word. That's my line.